Hello, welcome to Spotlight, picking out the island's artists in every hue. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. This evening, we'll be catching up with Dick. Stop sniggering at the back there. Continuing our celebration of the wonderful Wurlitzer in the Villa Arcade ahead of this summer's series of concerts. And hearing how the hunt is heading to the National. As always, do get in touch with any creative artistic endeavours you might be involved in, planning to create, or really like to just put in the spotlight, be they poetic, visual, theatrical, musical, literary. Just email me spotlight at manxradio.com or, of course, Howard Kane at manxradio.com. To start, another musical celebration in sound and history, as they say. Castletown Metropolitan Silver Band marking their 125th anniversary. And all the horns will be blazing. Musical director Ian Astle told me more. Yes, 125 years. Um, There are traces of the band back earlier than that, to the early 1800s. However... We were formed when the band split uh, in Castletown, and that's when we became the Metropolitan Band in 1896, uh, the winter of, and then 1897 was when our first concert was. So what's planned coming up this weekend? Um, so we've got all of the brass bands on the island. They're all coming down to Castletown Square. They'll each play their own 45-minute entertainment spots. And then at 7 o'clock in the evening, they're going to come together. We're going to have a mass band's performance. Then in the evening, we've got the wonderful Brass Machine, who are kind of a contemporary party band, composed of brass instruments. And then we've got a, a, a rock band in the to, to finish things off. So we've got Is that Hazard Mouse? Hazard Mouse, yes. I was yes. going to ask you about them. <laughs> so Hazard Mouse was actually, um, it was a band I formed for my mum's wedding, doing covers, and we uh, we enjoyed it and it went well, so we're, we're carrying things on. So Great title as well for a band. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the name came, t- took a while to come up with, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it, it's got a wonderful tradition, the Isle of Man, for brass banding, really. Oh, amazing, yeah. Uh, brass bands have been a big part of the community for a long, long time. I've, I've done a bit of uh, research on the history of bands on the island while I've been uh, celebrating this year. Um, I mean, I came into it through my family. My grandfather, Bobby Astle, played with Douglas Town Band, and my uncle, Gordon Astle, was the conductor of Onken. Most of the bands on the island have got these big family connections and they've, they've carried on through the years and they've, uh, they've been a stalwart kind of piece of the community wherever they are. And I've always noticed that I've had a few friends and you're exactly right, if one person in the family's in it, the chances are there's several others. Yeah, absolutely. You've got families within the band and then the band is kind of a separate family as well, you know, with good camaraderie and everybody helps each other and uh, it's, it's unique on the Isle of Man compared to England as well. Um, I feel that the, the bands over here, the, 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 the camaraderie's a bit tighter, I think, with being on an insular island. Um, you don't tend to get people drifting between the bands too much. They tend to stay loyal to each other, which is a good thing. The bands all help each other out, but, you know, there's the a little bit of competition there as well. What do you think brings people into banding in the first place? Is it just the, we were saying about the family links there, but is it, is it just the love of that brass sound? Is it that sort of com- comradeship that everyone gets? Or what do you reckon it sort of drives people to become banders? Because once a bander, always a bander, as far as I can see. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a range of different things that draw people in. Um, so health benefits was a big one. People often were advised when they were asthmatic to take up a brass instrument as it helps them control their breathing. Um, as you say, people just love that sound as well. Often we get a big um, influx of people wanting to learn after Christmas, after they hear us playing Christmas carols. Yeah. Um, and then you've got family ties. I was dragged in because my granddad was adamant I was going to be a brass player after him. Um, so I was dragged in against my will, but then quickly fell in love with it. 
Um, so yeah, there's there's all sorts of reasons that people get involved. But as you say, they're, they're generally stuck in for life once they get get there. And the young people still coming into it with so many other distractions now, social media and the digital world. Do you still get young folks coming in keen to get into banding? Yeah, um, it's certainly changed over the years. I think bands now have got to really. Um, try and develop that side of things. So in Castletown Band, we have BCB, Ballycastle Brass. That's run by Barbara Glassy-Cole. Um, so she brings in young players, trains them up, and then they come into the senior band once they're ready. She's really good at targeting parents as well. <laughs> so often parents will drop their child off to learn cornet and they'll walk away with an instrument themselves. And I know most of the bands on the island have got a similar kind of training scheme. You always lose players going to university as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've got lots of friends who, who've stayed over across and play with different... They still stay in brass banding. They just um, might not be on the island. But then hopefully they come back once they're ready to settle and we, we see them again. So get yourselves down. This is all free, is it? Absolutely all free. Um, there will be a Grand Tombola pound a ticket that they're, um, the Rotary Club of the Russian and Western Man have organised. Of course, they, they, um, they raise money for, for usually charitable concerns. But, um, yep, the, the music's all free. Uh, it's in the square. What time's the kick-off? Uh, one o'clock, Douglas Town Band will be kicking off, um, and it'll be finishing uh, around 11 o'clock in the evening. Marvellous. Terrific opportunity to see all the bands on the Isle of Man. Hopefully the weather will play ball as well. A wonderful sound, and all you have to think about now is what you're going to do for your 150th. <laughs> <laughs> one thing at a time. Let's get this weekend done. <laughs> Quite a celebration. Get yourselves down there if you can. It's free. What's not to like? And it's only 25 years to that 150th. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Now from the sublime to the ridiculous, if you remember that classic radio show Dick Barton, Special Agent, then not only are you older than you think you are, but if you like a bit of light-hearted spoofery, stay tuned for the next exciting episode of... No, 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 no. The service players are bringing light-hearted Dick to the Gaty stage. Yeah, we got to the stage where um, I was asked, do you want to do another uh, stage show at the Gaiety and uh, direct it? It's been actually a couple of years now since we did uh, Blackout. I think it was back in 2019, so yeah, three years. And I went through sort of my catalogue of much-loved British comedies, which I uh, um, really, I've just gone through over the last ten years. As you say, Blackadder, A Lower Low, um, Faulty Towers, Vicar of Dibley, um, Dad's Army. We've done all of those. And... I looked at the last few that are left of the old-style comedies and they, they didn't really lend themselves to being uh, transferred to the stage, really. And I was quite disappointed. Um, but then I recall watching a professional performance on the island of Dick Barton, Special Agent. Oh, I think I was a teenager at the time. And I remember being blown away by just how funny it was. And at the time, it wasn't very well supported. But it was a UK company that came over for a couple of nights. And I thought, this was brilliant. And I went and saw it every night. And I said to um, the guys at the service players, can we get this script? Can, can we find this script? Because we're all aware of um, Dick Barton as the, the radio superstar, where uh, the music, of course, is quintessentially famous. Um, but the stage show is really quite a send-up, and um, I was just desperate to do it. And when I read the script, it all came flooding back just how funny it is. It is very much a spoof, isn't it? And, and I think anyone who likes or went to see something like the Hello, Hello, it's in that sort of genre, I guess. 
It, it is. I mean, uh, the the humour is not particularly highbrow. I'll, you know that um, the fact that the character's name is Dick um, is uh, the, the 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 gags are pretty darn predictable That's when it comes the to standard, that. Yeah. It is the standard, um, but um, it is very much along the lines of the 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 low low uh, style on stage uh, with uh, some very. Uh, larger than life performances. There's a lot of doppelgangers. Um, there are a lot of uh, tropes that you'll find not just in the the, the radio serial Dick Barton, but also things like your James Bond, your Dick Tracy's, the larger than life villain, who uh, of course always has to have a, a foreign accent. Have fun. Sleep tight. Make sure the bugs don't bite. <laughs> Whatever shall we do? Don't despair, Missy. Dick Barton will come to save us. But where is he? It wants us to be strong. It wants us to remember the motto of the Bartons. Hail Dick Barton, he's awfully, awfully brave. Britons never, never, never shall be and there's lots of things in there about the British class system as well, um, all of which make it real good fun. And uh, for the first time, for, from my perspective, um, I'm directing a comedy musical because there's a lot of um, musical numbers in there um, which are well-known um, pieces of music that have got lyrics that have been specially written for the show and um, there are some interesting takes on classical pieces of music. So it's a musical play rather than a musical, we should say. But, it, it's a yeah, musical play, yeah. yes. Um, I mean, music. It's, um, you, you will have some interesting scenes of what is loosely described as ballet dancing, uh, very, very, very loosely described as tap dancing, eh, Howard? <laughs> That's very loose. Yes, yes it's very you loose. You've seen my tap dancing before. <laughs> uh, it's, it's worth the price of admission to see your tap dancing. So a few well-known names, uh, also a few uh, new faces on the stage with the service place? Uh, yes, I mean, um, that uh, there are a number of well-known faces. You're own included, of course, that are in there. Um, both, of that, uh, both of them that we've used many, many times. Um, there, there is one um, very interesting scene that people will very much appreciate how it is in. Um, but um, people like Toby Smith, who's taking uh, to the lead, he is um, Dick Barton and others. Um, I'm not going to give too much away. Um, and he has to do quite a number of um, challenging scenes, especially when it comes to, uh, shall we say, regional accents. Yes, he's got a bit of a split personality, and um, I could tell you how many splits there are, but that might be spoiling the surprise a little bit. I think it's got a very wide appeal. Uh, I think, yeah, it obviously appeals to people of a certain age who will remember, because I think, actually, we did work out that uh, Dick Barton might have actually been what uh, was being run on the BBC before the Archers. But it's obviously a, a, a fun for everybody. Um, Jeff Pugh plays the larger-than-life uh, villain, Baron Scarhart, and when it comes to remembering lines, oh, he's, he's got a lot. Um, I think it's very much in the vein of Doctor Evil, which, of course, spoofed Bond baddies anyway, um, with some of the wonderful ways he comes up with to, to kill our hero. Well, unlike Toby, I've got one accent to master, and that's German. So, yeah, very straightforward for me. Uh, one accent all the way throughout, just in varying volumes. <laughs> He does like a few monologues, um, yes, giving out all of his evil commands and all of the incredible mechanisms and ideas he's got for ways for killing Dick Barton. And yes, in terms of lines, I th yeah, I think I've got all of them. Yeah, I think you do have all of them. There's about 12 seconds in the middle of the play when you're not on that I have to say is quite disappointing. But also, you must have a degree in engineering for all these wonderful... Um, mechanisms that you've uh, designed for Dick Barton. Yeah, they're quite preposterous. Um, and the descriptions of them are each about a page and a half. So those have been quite the challenge to learn. <laughs> <laughs> what methods have you been using to learn these at home? 
are just repeating them, you know, 15, 20 times over at a time at my um, very generous wife who uh, rolls her eyes and goes, again, again, again. <laughs> Do right this time. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is the, um, the double agent spy, Marta Hartburn, who... Uh, yeah, she, she pushes boundaries, shall we say. And that, that's all I'm going to say. She pushes boundaries in a very comical way. Varta Hartburn is the uh, German femme fatale in the piece and she is very surprised by her uh, reaction to the special agent uh, and falls for him quite heavily. She's she's quite the man killer in in all senses, um, but when she meets Dick Barton, she's her head is turned. Certainly, she's come up with a master plan that uh, for Baron Scarhart to take over and infect or. What would you call it? The, uh, the the Britain's tea supply. Yeah, absolutely. It's all it's all about tea, and it's all about um, swapping some of the tea out with some medicinal products. Let's say that. Yes, I have to try and discover the real Dick Barton uh, by kissing everyone. So I kiss an awful lot of people in this play. You can get tickets from thevillagate.com or the Welcome Centre or by calling 600-555. And it's on at the Gaiety Theatre the 23rd, 24th and 25th of June. On the 26th of June, she'll have no lips left. (laughs) It is at the Gaiety Theatre. Suitable for everyone? I would say suitable for everyone with a sense of humour. Maybe not suitable for the kids. Um, But definitely suitable for anyone with a a sense of humour to come along. Um, I think that most jokes um, will will hit them right between the eyes where they're expected to. And those dates again? Uh, The dates, it's Thursday the 23rd. uh, Three nights, Thursday, Friday and Saturday uh, to the 25th. Get your tickets now. VillaGaiety.com. You can call 600-555 or go and pop and see them at the Welcome Centre. Or turn up on the night. But don't leave it till the night because tickets might be sold out. Director Alex Brindley, who loves anything phenorable. If you like Dick Barton and have a reasonably broad sense of humour and aren't afraid of old men in thongs, you'll love it. Staying with the theatre, but slightly more highbrow, you might remember we heard from Peter Shimon at Kensington Arts a while back, ahead of a group of young actors travelling over to the UK with their play Hunt. Now, Peter is back to tell us the actors are off again to an even more prestigious location to perform. Last time we spoke, we were gearing up for what they call the Partner Festival, which is when we took the play to York Theatre Royal to perform there. Usually, you know, we've done this for the last 10 years. That tends to be the pinnacle of, of what happens. You know, we've rehearsed the play at home and then we do it in, you know, a UK venue, wherever that might be. This year... Very luckily, and we're very, very grateful we've been chosen to perform the show at the National Theatre in London. So, yeah, a bit of a step up. And this is really an accolade, isn't it? Because you think this means that the sort of the kids from going from here, lovely though it is as we sit in the theatre at Kensington Arts, we're going to a a theatre over on the South Bank, the likes of, I don't know, Dominic Cumberbatch and you name them, basically, any of the top actors and actresses of our time probably have performed there. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, oh, what did I say? I'll call him Dominic, Dominic Cumberbatch. Benedict. Oh, I, it's his brother. <laughs> There's Dominic Cooper and Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a close-knit family. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's an incredible opportunity for the young people. You know, this is 
um, like you say, one of the most prestigious stages um, in the UK, in Europe, in the world. It's, you know, internationally recognized. And, you know, I went to this center when I was a kid. If we had the opportunity to perform on a stage like that, it's just like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So it's safe to say they're very excited and a little bit nervous. So more rehearsals, I assume, taking place ahead of this. Yeah, so we're back into rehearsals. We rehearse on a Wednesday and a Friday, usually. Um, been a bit of... Uh, a bit more challenging this time moving around TT week and the exams because obviously these are young people aged between 13 to 19 so a lot of them are doing their GCSEs A-level exams so they had sort of put this down to leave it for a little bit and now we're picking it back up trying to kind of maneuver around all of the exams and holidays and things but actually when we got back into the rehearsal room last week they still remembered their lines they remembered their movement and now it's just kind of adding that extra special level for when we go to London. And I think the thing is as well, but just by going down to London and doing this, it does plant that seed, doesn't it, that basically anything is possible. You know, today, Kensington Arts Centre, tomorrow, the National Theatre, in a couple of years' time, who knows? Exactly. You, you don't know what's ever going to happen when you're looking at a career in the arts or you just, even if you do arts for fun, we were talking before, you can get pushed in different directions uh, with the shows that you choose to do. And for the National Theatre Connections programme, you know, we've just had the great success story of Joe Locke, who came to us for the last couple of years and has now had great success in the Netflix series Heartstopper. It's great to show that there are so many Great opportunities for our young, talented people to develop their skills, learn things while they're here on the island. But the world's their oyster, or the world is a stage, for what they could potentially do next. It's very, very exciting. So exactly the same cast and director? Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. Um, So we have 13 people in the cast, and then we were also bringing three kind of backstage people, um, two ladies who are doing props and costumes, and a guy called Tig who does our sound. So all 16 of them will be travelling down to London um, and performing at the National, or if they're backstage, they will do workshops at the National as well. And uh, yeah, Dave Dawson is still on board as director, and I'm assisting him. And is there going to be another chance to see the hunt over here on the island before you take it down to London? Yes, we are doing a home performance uh, this Saturday on the 18th of June, but the stipulations of the licensing from the National Theatre were that we weren't allowed to sort of sell tickets to the general public for that because, you know, the debut of this writer's show, Finn Kennedy's show, is going to be at the National a couple of weeks later. So it's to an invited guest list. Um, so I've kind of reached out to um, local leaders in the community. Some of the MHKs are coming and obviously friends and family of the performers. But there might still be some space on the list. So if, if people are tempted and want to catch this show before we go to London, they can send me an email, peter.shimmon at gov.im. It's a terrific opportunity. Uh, Yes, break a leg with this one. I'm sure it will go splendidly. And uh, come back and tell us how it goes. We definitely will. Thanks for having us, Howard. Cheers. What an honour and a great opportunity. And as Peter mentioned, Joe Locke there, some of these young actors really could be on the world stage in just a year or two's time. You really never know. Finally this evening, the second part of our celebration of the mighty Wurlitzer in the Villa Arcade, ahead of this summer's series of free concerts by some wonderful players, more next week. They get underway on the 29th of June, uh, with this man, by the way, who's sitting at the console to play this before we had a chat. There you go. I bet you recognise that one. Even I recognise that one. I do like to be beside the seaside, of course, played here on the Wurlitzer 
organ. Famously in the Villa Marina Arcade, there can't be many people who uh, haven't heard it, seen it at one stage or other. And uh, we've dropped down today because it's coming up to that season where you'll have a great chance to hear some wonderful organists uh, making the most of the Villa Arcade Willitzer. Uh, play today with, well, you can introduce yourself, sir. Hello, Howard. It's uh, Keith Simpson here. I'm uh, one of the friends of the Isle of Man Willitzer. And it's very kind of you to come here to the Villa Arcade to see this uh, magnificent instrument. It is absolutely terrific. Magnificent is the word. Now, the one thing is, of course, you look at the organ and you think, people think of organs, they think of maybe electronic organs, they think of the church organs they might well have seen in their youth and dotted around churches in the island, and the world. It's a, what's the big difference there? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you've asked that. Uh, many people, uh, when I say I'm an organist, uh, their eyes glaze over and they say, oh yeah, yeah, because the only organ they've ever heard is the organ in a church. This one's very different. It's called a theatre organ or more accurately, it ought to be called a cinema organ, and I'll come back onto that in a, in a moment. But the story of these cinema organs started over 130 years ago on the uh, Riddle in Merseyside with a chap called Robert Hope Jones. He was a church organist, uh, but he was also a very senior telephone engineer, and he decided that he wanted the console, which is this bit with the keyboards, um, to be separate from the pipes. Prior to that, they were always joined by bits of wood, if you like, called trackers or uh, very thin tubular lead pipes. Uh, but being a telephone engineer, of course, he could play with uh, cables, relays, uh, electromagnets, and he managed to do this in his own church. He famously had a photo taken of the organ outside the church while he's playing for the services. And that's long before COVID. What a good idea for the organist to be ahead of his time, though. He certainly was. Well, he went on to um, build a factory in Birkenhead with um, over 200 organs. He mainly supplied to churches and cathedrals, including Worcester Cathedral in England. Um, but he realised that he's missing a trick here because the cinemas by that time had silent movies with no dialogue, no sound at all. And we were having pianists in most of the cinemas. Well, the bigger cinemas, of course, had to pay out for a full orchestra and that was costing them serious money at union rates to pay for each member. So he said, well, what if we change the church organ to have some orchestral sounds? So he did this, and um, he was making good progress, but by the time he'd moved to America in 1903, he joined up with Rudolf Verlitzer, um, who was at that time making barrel organs in America. And they worked a way together of having a console built uh, separate from the organ uh, so that the uh, screen could come on, and you'd very often see in cinemas the, the organ raise up from the ground, yeah, yeah. as indeed they still do in, in Blackpool, uh, in Blackpool Tower. Um, so the, org the organ would come up, and it would be like a, a mini orchestra. And to this day, there's a plaque on every Wurlitzer organ that calls it the, the Hope Jones Unit Orchestra, rather than just call it a Wurlitzer organ. Wow, that's, yes, I didn't know that, I must admit. I had heard of Wurlitzer over in the States. Wonderful potted history there for these fantastic instruments. You mentioned the, the uh, cinema organ. So is, was there anything else similar to this on the island? 
Yeah, the, 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 there was. In fact, um, just down the road here on Strand Streets, where the um, chemist shop called uh, Superdrug is, number 31, I think, Strand Street, used to be a cinema, and that um, had a marvellous Compton organ. Uh, they were made in the UK, and they were, if you like, competition for Erlitzer. Uh, the, the whole thing about making these cinema organs didn't last very long, because by the 1930s, they'd invented dialogue. Yeah. Of course, and that was it then. That was pretty much the end of the of the cinema organ, I suppose, once the talkies started up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. By 1939, the Relitzer Organ Company just ceased making uh, these organs altogether. So their innings, if you like, was only really from the early 20s to the late uh, 1930s. This particular organ here, we're going to hear in a moment, uh, was built in 1929. And next week, in the final part of the Little Wonder of the Wurlitzer, Keith will tell us more about who will be performing and give us a few examples of some of the organ sounds, just what it's capable of. That's about it for today. Don't forget, if you want to hear anything again, go to manxradio.com, download the Spotlight podcast, listen at leisure. Drop me a line with any artistic thoughts or ideas, stay creative, and I'll see you next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.